Hello and welcome to the Illumination Cinema Movie Podcast with your hosts, Tyler W. Moore and David Wayne Young. Hello and welcome. I'm Tyler. And I'm David Wayne Young. And today we are doing our Halloween special for 2022. That's hot. It is. I mean... It's hard to deny that. Um, <laughs> I, I have, I have, I have no, I, I have no way <laughs> to refute my statement. <laughs> Precisely, <laughs> you're incapable of saying that Halloween isn't hot. <laughs> it is, it is hot girl Halloween right now, and we are talking about three movies, uh, which just totally fit into that theme. Um, do those they? movies <laughs> those movies being <laughs> Frankenstein 1910 yes the cabinet of Dr Caligari and Nosferatu most of our halloween specials we have covered a version of Frankenstein and a version of Dracula and i think this is kind of like this Do might the be same. the peak yeah 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 this might uh I don't think it gets any better than this. We we've you know we've done the Universal movies, we've done the big like Francis Ford Coppola produced like '90s uh, versions, the Hammer movies, and now we're heading all the way back into the silent era to talk about these two plus another great silent horror film, uh, oftentimes considered one of the first horror films. Yeah, that being Caligari. Right. Um, so. Uh, for me, I've seen uh, all three of these before. I thought I hadn't seen Caligari before, but um, or at least I thought I like started it but not finished it. Turns out I have definitely seen the whole thing. I, I like I, I watched them back in high school, so it's been like you know well over ten years since I've watched all of these. Um, but how about you, David? So in film school, I watched several iconic scenes of. Nosferatu so I was familiar but I what I didn't realize was that it was in fact a retelling of Dracula um spiritually yeah so I mean again it was just some iconic scenes it wasn't the whole story so you know the the elements of you know this rebirth of John Harker this rebirth of Mina like all these characters that are you know essentially playing similar roles but um you know, in a differently named and differently ending story. I, I didn't know mm. any about that. Um, that's it's very said, loose. It's very loose. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, that's why I tried to say spiritual retelling rather than, um, a retelling. I tried to correct myself there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, let's see Caligari. Yes. And, uh, Frankenstein. I did not, I have never seen this. So not even for the show. Surprise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's going in blind. He's just going to guess. Yeah, I've never even heard of Frankenstein. <laughs> We've done these so many times, but I've never heard that name. <laughs> he um he had an accident a few weeks ago. He tripped <laughs> and uh he uh, his narcolepsy kicked in in the middle of <laughs> like walking <laughs> walking in a crosswalk and uh he like conked his head really hard and he has amnesia harder than usual harder than usual <laughs> that's right that's right it's important to have these distinctions um <laughs> but <laughs> let's go ahead and head into frankenstein this is actually a short film uh, it's only about 12 minutes long something like that and I was really glad it was a short film because I obviously I wanted to rewatch all of them for this. Right. And I totally forgot in the week leading up to this to actually watch the movie until, uh, but like maybe a couple hours ago. <laughs> I love that. And when you said short, I, I kind of expected it to be like 50 minutes or something. You're like, oh, I forgot this one was short. You know, great. I, I have time. I'm like, okay, yeah. it's probably going to be like 50 minutes or something. Um, because I too had not watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I knew that I could finish two, but not three, um, before my perceived deadline. Uh, and then I got sick as you well know. Um, right. 
And so, you know, it was just far better for me to rest than to pick up that last one. And so I too did not watch it until today. <laughs> <laughs> and no disrespect to this movie because it's incredible. Oh yeah. It's, it, it's one of those that I think really hones in on what was possible at the time and, yeah. you know, just accents that. It, it shocks that. you yeah. at what was possible at the time. Yeah. I would uh, add further because the um, like it's interesting how they how they chose to um, how they chose to do it because there's nothing in the way of dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. There are title cards that kind of just tell you what the scene is going to be, and then you can kind of um, more or less glean what is going on in those scenes right? Uh, and like what they might be saying, which is great. And the mon like the, the monster creation sequence where it's just this like skeleton, like slowly forming like muscle yes. and skin. And like, it's, it's hauntingly beautiful. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, and it gave this me Hellraiser is- vibes. Like, I was yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um, like, okay. All right. <laughs> no, I I loved. I I've I I've seen this one a few times. Like obviously, like I I've always been the Frankenstein guy. You're the Dracula guy of these of these specials. True, true. But this one, like you know, this was an easy rewatch uh, several times as a teenager, and it was just one of those things where it was like, okay, you got you got to just watch you got to watch this one scene. <laughs> it's, it's so good. <laughs> I think one of the important distinctions was in fact that like you said, you know, we were relying on intertitles for a different purpose here. And in fact, you know, in a way you could like just read those and understand the story completely. Yeah. Um, you know, so what winds up happening is the scenes serve as the poetic like comp or compliment the poetic compliment to the title card rather than being dependent you know what i mean right yeah no i agree um it's very much so like a, a like a spark notes version of the i mean like kind of beyond yeah. that uh because again like it, it even like the movie itself proclaims itself as a loose adaptation of the novel and right. it, but it, it gets the themes and like, it's, it's very, um, it's a very poetic adaptation, like very non literal in many ways. Uh, and I, I really do think because it is 1910 and motion pictures are still fairly new. I think maybe they're assuming you've already read the story or you're familiar with the story. Right. Um, because as we get to the ending, it it does something which I've always really liked, which is, um, you know, we kind of chase the monster back into this room and he's kind of like looking at himself in a mirror um, and then the actual version of him disappears, but he stays in the mirror. And then Dr. Frankenstein rushes into the room and sees the monster in the mirror. Yes. And it says so much about the themes of the story. Well, you know, what's fun is the title cards don't leave it objective either. Right. You know, they yeah. they say <laughs> they say straight up, oh yeah, um Frankenstein's evil mind messed this up. <laughs> like mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. oh shit. So he's not just a genius, he's an evil genius. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like if you didn't know the story, now you know. <laughs> right. My favorite my favorite thing is like they really could have lopped off the first scene where it's like Frankenstein goes to university and then oh, like yeah. the like 30 seconds later it says two years later Frankenstein now knows the mysteries of life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, God damn, that's a good college. <laughs> where was he going? Vienna, probably. Let's go there. <laughs> and only two years, too. This is a good program. <laughs> This is a good, like, associate's degree he's got here. Uh. <laughs> AA Mysteries of Life. <laughs> or would it be an AS, an Associate of Science for Mysteries of Life? <laughs> he, he actually had a minor in the Mysteries of Life. 
Um, but he got the tuba as his major. Right. He he dabbled. He dabbled. <laughs> um, no hate on anyone who knows how to skillfully play a tuba, by the way. No, absolutely not. Obviously, like, you know, it's a it's a very specific kind of acting and everything. It's hard to, like, judge performance in a in a profound way. Um, but like it, it's very serviceable. The, the look of the creatures, obviously very far removed from what we're used to with the Jack Pierce makeup and everything. Um, but it looks good. Like it, you know, it, 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 it's very functional. He looks like, you know, this big hulking creature that like, you know, with like physical abnormalities. Right. And, you know, I, I think I think what's interesting too is that, you know, we're able to sense a bit of that, you know, longing for recognition immediately as well. The you know, the yeah. iconic <laughs> Frankenstein's monster trait. You know, this like you know, he's reaching toward the doctor and it it can be perceived a couple of ways because whatever happens doesn't happen, if that makes sense. Right. There's the, yeah, there's the bit where um, Dr. Frankenstein's in the room with his uh, fiance and the monster comes in and like he's kind of gesturing at all three of them. And it's like, OK, so he wants to have a threesome. Uh, <laughs> Maybe family. but <laughs> Oh, that that. OK, yeah, that yeah, yeah. makes more sense. <laughs> Who knows? You, know what? you, might, twisted, you might have a y'all. point there. You might have a point there. I don't know. There's not a whole lot uh, to say that isn't just like it's, you know, it's a very simplified version of the story. Very readily available. Um, Obviously, I really like it. Um, And I would even hazard to say, like, it's simple enough that for what it's setting out to do, I would give it 10 Jamie's. Damn. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um. There are a couple of things that I think, you know, set it back a little bit for me. And, you know, one of them was the fact that, like you said, the the beginning, the first 30 seconds has no purpose. Right. Um, and, you know, I think I think my uh, my largest frustration is apart from being an uh, like being a slight bit of motivation the fiance also has no purpose and so for the for those things it kind of it kind of draws away from the story rather than adding to it um for me eight jamie's um you know very solid execution and something i would rewatch again and again partly because it's so short and so like you said readily available highly rewatchable and i mean uh I, i and thankfully so uh, as far as like its availability, just because uh, this was at one point a lost film, right? Okay, um, it was completely thought to have disappeared. Um, but I mean, looking at like the fact that we can sit down, because I remember watching it online, you know, probably uh, ten or so years ago, mm-hmm. and like just watching it on like a <laughs> on a shitty little monitor and everything, and now I'm like watching it in high definition on you know on a decent sized television like you know it like and because i think even at the end it says something to the effect of like you know this is restored from like a like a like a found nitrate print like uh it's 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 amazing that it still exists i mean it's over a 100 years old yeah well over at this point um so just super cool super cool that we get to watch this thing agreed but I guess moving on to the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. <laughs> um, for the folks at home, David, give us a description of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Sure. Okay. So um, Dr. Caligari is at its heart a, uh, a, I would call it a psychological thriller. It really yes. is. It's um, it showcases uh what we think is, you know, kind of a a chase for the murderer, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, in several different acts. And that chase takes several different shapes. Um, Sometimes we, you know, as the audience are 
rooting for them to to chase down this doctor who uh, believes he can control a sleepwalker. And, you know, of course, there are, there are differing stories on that front, as we find out later in the story. But, um, you know, what winds up happening is that uh, this sleepwalker is risen from his uh, from his slumber, told to tell someone's fortune. And then that man dies. <laughs> <laughs> he makes sure it comes true. Yeah. He's like, you will die before dawn. And lo and behold, <laughs> this guy does, in fact, die before the next morning. Um, so, you know, that is the inciting incident and everything that follows it is basically just um, just a rush to figure out why, how, yeah. and who. Um, and it, it's it's insanely, insanely well done, in my opinion. Um, oh, yes. Everything from art to story. But uh, I can let you jump in with your initial thoughts. I know you said you've seen it before as well. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the like the the art aspect of this movie, the art direction of it is, I mean, this is this is German expressionism at its at its peak as far as like the, as far as like this era goes. Yes, indeed. Because like all the angular um, sets that are like you know they're very like you know they look like the set of a play, but because of the way this movie is framed. Um, it just works in such a way that like you're you're believe you're you believe it like you're you're brought into this world um tim burton has been chasing this his entire career right <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it it looks so great and like all three of these movies that we watched had um color tinting on them uh and this one uses it in really um, really cool ways yeah i um I, I actually wanted to speak on the set especially it's my my favorite part to the, to think about with this film in particular because you know what what care it must have taken right to like think about how the set is going to be shaped for these shots mm-hmm. to make to make the long shadows that you know are literally just painted on yeah or like I, I mean, you know, like you said, half of these windows or walls are angular in their shape so that, you know, when we we hear someone saying that uh, the murder victim has been uh, taken by a strange pointed instrument, we look up and the window is, an, yeah. is like a giant knife pointing at this guy's body. And it's just it's stuff like that that really, really adds that extra level to the experience it's like you said it's like a play um yeah and it's so funny that you say it's it's set up like a play in so many ways because you know that's something they thought about i think with uh not only their acting but you know costuming and makeup yeah um you know you see these giant bags underneath uh chesare's eyes and that's you know, <laughs> I, I think every little piece of what Chesare brings to the table when he wakes up is what I would think of when I think of like a, a lifelong sleepwalker. You know, these yeah, giant yeah. ass sleeping or bags under his eyes and then, you know, his tiny little steps, his slender frame, everything speaks to that. 100% agreed. And like like you were saying with like the... um. Like, like, especially just, like, that window that's, like, pointing directly at the body yeah. and everything. Like, you want to talk about leading lines in cinematography? Just, like, this, like, they did it so much on purpose. Like, yeah, like you said, painted shadows on the walls. Like, the, uh, like, street lamps will have, like... Yes. Like, th- they have, like, uh, the, the glow from the street lamp is painted onto the ground under them. It's so... Like it's such it's there's so many fascinating choices that are going on here. Um, and I also because like obviously another thing is that music differs on all of these movies oh, yeah. because obviously there's no like set score. But this um, one's fucking metal. <laughs> it's fucking rad, dude. I love it. 
it's like it goes from like kind of freeform jazz to like just like electric guitar like scraping and like i wanted to make sure we watched the same versions so that we could make sure to have the same experience as far as um score presentation and and music would go but yeah no i love the music in this one (laughs) yeah i i thought that that was and yeah obviously movies try to do this all the time some of them are really successful but i think i think this one does what i would call i wouldn't even call it like a score right like i would call it i think musical sound design you know because in a way because i mean like there'll be parts where like he's opening like the doors to like chesare's little uh almost coffin he's kind of sleeping in and like the the guitar will like scrape yes string to like kind of like to as the doors open like yeah or horns going off when uh when this woman is wailing you know yeah yeah i'm like okay okay i can get with it (laughs) i mean like i i think all three of these movies do a really good job with shadow play but one of my and i mean one of them (laughs) by far uh does it the best but in this movie (laughs) in this movie uh the scene where he is stabbing the guy whose uh, fortune he predicted. Right. Uh, just like the way they, they've they set it up like for this day. It's like, it's almost, it's like, I can't believe um, in 1920, they were, you know, like, like it, 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 it almost seems like too much for a time right. like that. And I don't know if like, maybe we just kind of went in this weird like wave because like, it, <laughs> I almost feel like, uh, and I mean, like, obviously it's, you know, it's played off screen, but it's like, I feel like even the sixties or seventies would feel like this was too much. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. Cause like, just, just for a little bit of like context. So things like German expressionism influenced noir, which was, you know, our biggest way of uh, yeah. getting dark and gritty in America, um, you know, post or pre-war, uh, no post-war. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was our our grittiest moment was like film noir and any of the little traditions that came out of that. But then everyone like gets tired of it. And so yes, in the fifties and sixties, it's all, um, it's all leave it to beaver and like Bible stories. And, you know, while there is violence in a lot of that, you know, especially the sixties, um, you know, they, they change it in a way, you know, it's not this, utterly gruesome shadow play that you're talking about it's it's things that i i think are much more static um yeah not to say they weren't graphic you know there are a few that i could name but um you know they were different in that way because i think dynamic is scarier i'm also yeah i'm also like as as you're saying that remembering oh yeah this was from europe and they, they were just, they were playing a whole oh, true. ball game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not compare, compare them to us, a, a bunch, the bunch of prudes in America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, getting back on track with the story a little bit, um, there's a part where um, we're all looking for the killer at this point. And I think they find another guy who just like happens to be committing a <laughs> totally to unrelated crime. Yeah. And uh, there's like, like you can see uh, like Caligari's face. Yes. When, um, he's like, like he's like so ready to basically like have, like have everybody coming after him. And then like this scapegoat gets carried away and he's so happy. <laughs> like oh, what yeah. an evil bastard. <laughs> you know that's why when i saw that moment i was like okay i can easily call this a thriller now yes you know because i i think one of the defining features that i see when i see a thriller versus a horror is whether or not the the quote-unquote predator or the killer you know their point of view is empathized with in any way Mm -hmm. you know and if it is then you know it's to me that's a thriller you know the difference between halloween and uh silence of the lambs right i think this would play somewhere in the middle i think it could be a horror thriller but um 
I definitely agree that it, it's it's an example of both. Fair um, enough. There are many. Uh, I wrote down a lot of jokes. <laughs> <laughs> when he tells him you'll only live until dawn, I wrote down, "Don't worry, he's just cranky." Uh, <laughs> and also, the girl's like um, freaking out when she sees him, and the fucking just best moment of the movie where he's like just slowly sneaking up on her um and then pulls a total incel move uh but uh i'm like why is she so afraid of him she has raccoon eyes too um (laughs) (laughs) but no like for real though that that scene where like because they just really like take their time to have him slowly come in the window and then like yeah. walk up with the knife and get ready to stab and then he changes his mind and um that's by far one of my favorite parts of the movie if not my favorite part of it i i always liked personally um this like montage of discovery about who dr caligari really is um mm-hmm. and you know for for the folks at home you know what you wind up with is a guy playing at a legend um yes. you know trying to replicate what he's heard from stories abroad and uh he succeeds creepily enough or you know that's what we're led to believe right um I'm, i was just i was fascinated with how layered the story was um, it's very impressive <laughs> because like you, you really have this um, back and forth of, you know, like, like once you get to that ending, it's like, okay, is Francis actually insane? Um, because like it, it really does lean hard onto that. But then you get that last lingering shot because obviously like mm-hmm. Caligari is also like, like, oh, he's the director of the uh, asylum that he's in um and like all these like people that are kind of hanging around this place are sort of characters in this play that he's like putting on for uh or that, that he's like the story that he's telling to one of the other uh patients right um i even wrote early on because like i kind of forgot uh how like where this movie went basically and because uh, there's a point where like, he points out the girl and he's like, that's my fiance. I'm like, you see that freaky looking lady over there? <laughs> that's my fiance. And it makes so much sense. Um, oh, yeah. Once it's all, like once it all comes together, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no. Like um, or at least like if they're trying to frame him that way, like. But yeah, no, I it, it, it leaves it open in a way where like. You can definitely wonder, like, okay, is this all like a a big twisted game that Caligari is playing, or is this guy just literally insane? Right. And I I think uh, <laughs> I you know to to point out uh, a a little bit more on the fact that you you know you see him point out this fiance of his. <laughs> <laughs> and the line right before it is from the guy he's talking to the old man on the ban- bench and he's he says something that so opens you to either of these right because either one he's insane or two uh this doctor actually has you know some supernatural uh hold over sleepwalkers so the guy says uh, the very first line of the entire movie is like I believe in spirits. They're here with us or something to that effect. And it's, it's really interesting that that's the way it opens up because then, you know, like you said, it's either letting this crazy guy know he can be crazy with this person. Right. Oh yeah. And that's my fiance. You believe in ghosts and this is my girl. Um, Or (laughs) I have a girlfriend. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or like I said, it's, it's literally just an opening up of the premise of supernatural and, right. you know, otherworldly powers and that kind of thing. Should we go ahead and do final thoughts on this one? Sure. Yes. I don't know that I'd like watch it over and over again, but um, this was so ahead of its time and like 
majorly influential. I really enjoyed watching it this time. And, um, you know, it's, it's an incredible movie. I would give it eight Jamie's. You know, I've always thought of this movie as very, very stunning. Um, you know, that there are very few things that I would change about it. Um, it, you know, not that you should ever touch this piece of art, but you know, <laughs> just, <Right. laughs> you know, just thinking about like rating wise. And so, you know, I, I think I'm just shy of a 10, so I'm going to give it a 9.5 Jamie's. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Let's move on to Nosferatu, our Dracula movie of the evening. Count Orlock, is that right? Yeah, our our Orlock movie. Right, right. We all know. <laughs> mm, wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> all of the characters' names have been changed for this movie. So I almost remember none of them except for Orlock and Hutter. Um, yeah. Um, especially when I'm not hearing them. So True. Uh, actually, one problem I have with this one is the horrible font that they chose for like oh, a lot of um, yeah. they use several different types of like title cards. Yeah. And one of them is this weird like cursive handwriting font. Um, and it's atrocious. I cannot <laughs> read it. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I'm not ashamed to admit I paused um, just to. <laughs> That's what I should have done. I just I was just like I'm not gonna make watching this movie a three hour long experience, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, there were quite a few notes, <laughs> um, little notes, and then the actual title cards, and I mean it, it lends itself very easily to the fact that Dracula was and still is an epistolary novel. It's literally yeah. just a bunch of letters <laughs> and diary right. entries. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it it makes sense, but yeah, it's a little tedious in that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, however, one of my favorite things about this story, I mean, you know, th- this is a major problem with most Dracula stories is the agency of the Mina character, or in this case, I can't remember her name, um, but Hutter's fiance uh right they, and, they kind of fused a couple characters i mean they always kind of do right. but uh <laughs> this one especially kind of fused a few characters right and she winds up having um a, just a lot more agency and i mean she she fucking saves the day let's say it so yeah you know i i was really uh, in admiration of the way they handled this story. And it also made me question something. Uh, can you maybe <laughs> back me up here? Let's I don't see. remember an earlier vampire story that deals with vampires specifically being weak to the morning or morning light. You yeah, know? this is, I believe this is the one that introduced it because obviously it does not happen in the novel Dracula. Right. Um, I think we've covered that before, but I believe this might be where it was invented. It makes perfect sense. I mean, you're not going to have this, you know, cross country trip yet again. in uh, when it took, I think an hour for us to get past the ship, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just, it makes sense with the way they structured the story that they weren't going to have yet another like transcontinental trip to Transylvania and like slice someone's head off. Right um this makes far more sense (laughs) yes 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 uh so i mean we really for the first act for sure maybe even a little bit beyond i like we're pretty faithful to like the the bones of dracula Mm -hmm. um obviously like we're kind of following uh hutter um and it's a lot easier to get there (laughs) than it was to get back True. <laughs> Cause the 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 creepy real estate guy uh sends him out there and I was wondering, and maybe you can help me out here. Sure. Uh if this like if he was always under Orlock's control. Yes. And he was like kind of, you know, like setting a trap for him basically. Yes. Um he, okay. he, he he serves as it's really interesting. You said 
oh, hey, the, some of these characters got combined. Well, this one most definitely did. Um, in, in the idea that, you know, he is, you Renfield, know, right? part of, Plus. yeah, he's part, uh, partly uh, Renfield and then partly Jonathan Harker, who is the banker who lets him, who lets Dracula, you know, set up his home. Um, you know, there, there's, there's that role in there of securing his voyage and everything that Jonathan Harker plays in the original novel, of course, but, um, and his firm, you know, but he's, he's the face of his firm. He's the, he's the one doing all of this. And so it's, it's interesting the way they chose it. It's almost like Hutter is the emissary, but you know, knock, I think his name was, is the one like pulling the strings. So, uh, cause I was under, I was under the impression and maybe, and maybe you can also clarify this because I was under the impression that Jonathan Harker would be Hutter's character. Yes, um, yeah, the and one. So he's role, kind of both in a way. Yeah, yeah. The okay. one role of Harker's that winds up becoming part of Knock is just the um, the connection that gets set across to where I'm guessing they're based in London again. I don't remember if there was a. No, you know what? It's a German film. It's a German film, so I'm wondering if it isn't, but... Um, I, either way. Obviously, I think we still... I, I, I do believe that Orlok is still, like, um, established in Transylvania. Right. But... Yeah. And, you know, I, again, the only real connection uh, between Harker and Nock is just that that role of setting... Yes. Count or lock up. Um, but I, I will say uh, there is one small thing that l- leads you to believe, okay, he's always been this Renfield type character, but we just didn't know it. Is um when they first introduce Nock, Hutter mentions that um people have said rumors about the man for forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and he d- he doesn't believe him. He's like, uh, I know one thing, uh, only one thing's true. Uh, he always pays whoever works for him really well. So in other words, Hutter is like unwittingly like ignoring all these crazy ass rumors about knock because (laughs) he works for him and gets paid well. (laughs) So, right. Yes. Yes. He's like, I'm going to do whatever this guy tells me. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) They say he eats babies. I don't care. Um, he's just gonna get that paycheck <laughs> there's just yeah like there's a lot of really weird dialogue and i i didn't think much of it like like the first several times watching it but uh like there's a lot of weird dialogue as he's kind of setting him off to go out there and then uh hutter's like going to visit his wife and uh like just like before he leaves and he goes i'm going to the country of thieves and ghosts see ya (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think he's i i I think he's impressionable is what they're trying to like showcase right he's literally just willing to say and do whatever because you know there are these people who know better than him or pay better than him who are going to tell him what to do I think it's also a good amount of just like, you know, humor, a com- a, a com- well, that and a, a complete disregard of superstition, because when he True. has the little vampire book that he's given, yeah, uh, he laughs. He's, he's like, fuck this goofy ass vampire book and throws it on the ground. Uh, <laughs> he uh, and man, like he almost immediately needed it after. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, I. There were there were a few limitations that, you know, I mean, it could have just been, uh, well, I don't know if it was this print or if it was, you know, me viewing it or whatever. But, you know, I never saw any bites when he was looking in the mirror. I didn't see anything. Yeah. So I, that, I thought maybe thing. there was nothing. And then later he confirms he has bites. So right. it, I'm, I'm glad they covered the bases by also confirming it in dialogue, but. It's still mm-hmm. a little weird for me. There's a few things like the it wasn't the cleanest. I've seen like cleaner prints of this. Um, this is actually the first time I've seen it with um, with the color tinting. I've always seen it in black and white before. Oh, okay. um, I did. 
like kind of look it up. Like for this one in particular, I looked it up and it's like preferred that you watch it with the color tinting. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Because it, it, it gives a better sense of like, obviously like blue is when is, is nighttime and yellow is daytime. Right. Um, and there's, we get a little bit, and that, that's kind of the case with all of these movies, but, um, we, there's, and then there's a little leeway, um, in scenes in between where, um, you know, like we'll get like kind of red, like maybe it's just about nighttime or, you know, uh, or, or there might just be a little, a little bit more creative license there. Um, right. but, uh, I really like that. And then there's a, there's a bit where, where, when he's riding up to Orlok's castle, um, there's like a, there's like a, a negative shot and it looks so cool. Right. There's, there's several um, moments like that. And then, you know, obviously we see Orlok himself and we haven't, we haven't nearly uh, addressed this as much as we should have, uh, that <laughs> the makeup here is incredible. Oh Yeah. Um, like unbelievable well for the, for the, for the time. Um, and I, I, I don't know if it's like the age of the film almost helps the, um, the look, but like every, like every scan I've ever seen of this, it always looks great. Shadow obviously plays a, plays a part, but like some of the, um, like higher quality scans I've seen, like he'll be plain as day and looks amazing speak of shadow <laughs> yes <laughs> there are some uh really 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 fucking cool moments and some of them you know like uh, one in particular was something that uh i remember encountering in um in film class you know i i again we we studied I will say we studied this film, but we studied aspects of this film and others uh, com- yeah. contemporary with it. And so um, the assigned film was Caligari. Um, the film that I, we watched some iconic scenes of, well, or, or one of them, was uh, Nosferatu. So um, that's the full story. And uh, one of the coolest moments <laughs> is... Uh, you know, these long, thin, creepy claws of this, like, very, yeah. again, angular character. Um, you know, such a such a trademark at the time of, like you said, German expressionism. Um, you know, we're not far off the mark with this film either. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the the shadow play really plays into that. The Like, obviously, there's, like, the iconic shot of him coming up the stairs. and yes. Orlock, uh, when he's introduced, I mean, like, you know, he comes on way too strong. He's like licking this guy's cut. Uh, <laughs> but then <laughs> like he's five like, minutes chill, after friends. It's way too much. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then, you know, later on, like probably um, like the two best scenes with him. I mean, I there's there's like three really like super great ones. Obviously, like there's the stuff on the boat. But um, yeah, that's powerful. <laughs> one, like I think my favorite in particular was um, like where, you know, Hutter's like really figuring everything out and uh, he's just kind of like appearing in his doorway and mm-hmm. uh, like just looming over him. And um, I think it's the scene where he initially gets bitten um, and it's just such a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> it looks incredible. We got his little skeleton clock. I love his little skeleton clock. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, I remember I remember distinctly, you know, just Hutter looking through the lid of the coffin through that little hole and seeing uh Oh yeah. Seeing Orlock's face and it's just damn that yeah. that right there is face to face with death. You really feel it. Like everything just feels compressed in this anxiety ridden way, Um, which is, I I think a real achievement for, you know, I mean, this is a time when, uh, when cameras were still very static, Mm -hmm. you know, so um, getting that sense of compression and anxiety through again, I feel is a real achievement. Like while we're still here in this section, like uh, this was shot on a at, a at a real castle that is still standing, 
Um, How and cool. like you can really, you can really feel it. Like they're making great use of this location. Um, it does not feel like a set. <laughs> does that mean they also actually went to the car paths? Like, is that what we see <laughs> when we're the establishing shot? I don't know. I think it's I think it's in Germany. Okay, it's just really impressive scenery, and I wondered yes. if that was no. The case. It's yeah. It's it's uh. It's an incredible looking like it's like up on the top of a hill basically, and yeah. it 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 looks insane. Yeah, no, really cool stuff. And then another another weird like you know just just really cringe thing that Orlock says he is he uh. uh <laughs> <laughs> he goes your wife has a beautiful neck i'm like yeah that's totally normal man <laughs> no, here's the thing here's the a really thing, hard time that, making friends that line <laughs> I, I i'm so glad you brought this up because i wanted to make sure that i mentioned this line he goes your wife has a really beautiful neck and then he goes yeah i'll take that house because <laughs> at That's first right. he wasn't he it's wasn't thinking he's like mm, i don't know about the house like eh. and he sees the wife's uh, the wife he goes your wife's neck damn and <laughs> god damn <laughs> and hutter doesn't see anything wrong with that yeah i know it's like i i mean i i do enjoy her neck it's a very good neck <laughs> it is in fact a nice neck and oh you said you'll take the house that's across from me now <laughs> What luck? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he Hutter does not connect the dots very quickly. Yes, uh, or, or maybe he's just though. so excited to get the fuck out of there that. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, he's like, "Oh, but, these mosquitoes—they bite really close next to each other." Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> He's always been like in a lot of the film adaptations, just incredibly too trusting, yeah, uh, or like just not seeing the red flags. But this one especially is just like you are literally talking to a monster man. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but in that in that scene where he goes to goes to bite Hutter, um, we see. Um, do you remember you? Were, I no, you didn't remember his wife's name, uh, but like no. she's. She's like having this big reaction, like there's like a connection going on. And I'm wondering, like, was she kind of falling under Orlok's spell in many ways, like, the like way from that, afar? The way that it seemed to me, because of the language they chose, was that she's his soulmate. She's, you know, Hutter's soulmate. And so because Hutter's soul was being like, you know, feasted okay. upon she sensed it you know um because i i don't think they make it super super clear but the language i remember uh you know has to do with um something with the soul specifically and okay. so i was like okay um i think i could read into that this way and so after that i didn't give it any more thought so if there is another interpretation or some maybe clues that i missed then there very well could be, but um, see, I that's think the that works better it. with with like the story as it plays out because the way I was sort, I've I've always kind of interpreted it was like that that she's kind of, um, yeah, like o almost like kind of falling under this control. Like after Orlock sees her, he kind of like I don't know uses this connection with the two of them, right? And because like there's almost this weird like com it it almost felt like she had like this weird compulsion to like um you know like jump out the window or something like and i don't know if that's how it was act like what they were actually trying to communicate um, yeah to me that was more about the nightmare right okay you know I what i mean I like i see like so troubled and so broken up over what's happening to her, what what she thinks is happening to her husband mm -hmm. uh that you know she very dramatically would you know end her life over it uh, right because because there's there's uh she's like also kind of like she keeps going to it even after he's there in a way where i'm like is she like trying to go to meet him or is she just like you know trying to kind of break this weird connection like there's i feel like there's a couple of different ways that you could kind of take it um yeah. but I, I think yours is probably closer to correct 
Um, I'd be very interested to see if they're, you know what? I'm going to look it up after we're done here. <laughs> I'm <laughs> definitely going to be looking it up more. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely a thought piece. And that's not something that you can say about every uh, iteration of the Dracula you know story oh, certainly not yeah <laughs> yes some of them some of them are just there to look at <laughs> <laughs> and this one you can do both yeah you can look and think um but uh we talked a little bit about the stuff on the ship and he just uh because orlock just drinks up that whole crew oh shit and uh then we have like these like there's this really Actually, this is, I mean, this is another contestant for best scene. Like, this is this is the best scene without Orlock in it. Um, all this uh, plague stuff that right. they're doing. Like, all the, like, the coffins being carried through the town. Like, marking the doors. Like, it's, it's so eerie. And um, it just really throws you. And then, like, it kind of leads up to, like, you know, we got, uh, we have Nock kind of, like, freaking out in this little, yeah. in this little room. And... Uh, because they know, uh, like, he, like he he knows something's coming, basically. Yeah. And uh, you even kind of have like this, like, you know, it, it's it almost kind of like a do or die moment for Orlock of uh, like kind of uh, like it's time to make time to kind of make his moves. <laughs> I I think one of the things that I was curious about, and maybe you can shed some light on what your thought was. I was trying to figure out whether the plague was literally just the effects of, or, you know, what they thought was again, the black plague was actually just the effects of Orlock, or if it literally was also spreading the black plague because you're getting all these rats from, you know, Eastern Europe. I think, I, I, I think it's kind of a combination of, of of both in a way okay. like i because the way i was taking it initially was like there's just a lot of people um like i i think there's a lot of familiar signs like obviously it's not like it, it it's like they recognize what this looks like and they're and they're this is what they assign it as but i think like because it seems like some amount of time passes like not much but right um a decent amount and so it's like he like he probably is like swooping in and um maybe killing a few folks and like because there's like even like a one of the things i one of the fucking title cards i couldn't read very well (laughs) like Lane mentioned to like um that it it associated orlock with a plague Um, yeah okay and i like I don't I like you know like you're saying I couldn't necessarily designate like what that meant like as far as like you know like like how literal to take it but um I I think I think it has a lot more to do with him and le- cuz like obviously like at first I thought the coffins were just the people on the ship um, but it's right. obviously much more far spread than that. And, you know, we're marking these doors and everything. We have all the rats, um, which they make great use of. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, just, just a really creepy scene. Um, but then we get to the part where, um, Orlock's creeping up on, on Hutter's wife and we have like obviously the incredible shot on the staircase but like also probably one of my favorite bits of shadow play in here is where uh he like kind of grabs like it, like his shadow like grabs where her heart is <laughs> yes i i think it's a truly awesome tale it uses a lot of devices from dracula but it's not beholden to the dracula tale uh in a way that's limiting mm-hmm. um and you know i think I think they had in their mind the entire time that this was going to be a composition first, and then they were going to bring together the story of Dracula as part of that composition. Right. That makes sense. Um, I mean, they even call it a symphony of horror. So it, yeah. it tells you how important they thought, you know, music was going to play a part specifically within the movie. How did you feel about the about the score on this one? 
I, I, this was one that I would most definitely call a score, first of all. Um, yeah. Unlike, yeah. you know, because again, there are, there are devices in Caligari that make me think, you know, score is the wrong word. But, um, you know, I, I thought that this was very, very classic, but then surprising. Yeah. You know, there, there's a little of both here. I feel like it's a little too busy at the beginning. In fact, like the, the tempo is a little too high. Okay. For me in, in a lot of moments. And I kind of like, I would have watched it with a different, I, I mean, like we don't even remember, like we didn't write down who the composers were on these. So it's like, how useful <laughs> are these notes really? Uh, but for the version we watched, yeah, and I, I thought it was a little bit too busy, but like the tone was there. Right. Um, so I think like out of all three, I really like Caligari and like Frankenstein's worked very well for it. Like this would probably rank at the bottom as far as the as far as the score goes but um i mean obviously great movie the i love the effect when he burns up um, oh yeah <laughs> the movie does just kind of end <laughs> in a lot sure. of ways yeah but i mean also no but like i don't think anybody knew how to end the movie and end a movie until like the 1970s okay that's fair <laughs> <laughs> There's no falling action ever. Like they just suddenly cut off. <laughs> and maybe you get that last uh, little little frame of Dr. Caligari staring yeah. at his new patient. <laughs> you know what? Fucking like actually the first two ended pretty well, but Caligari probably has the best ending out of the three of them as far as like, you know, structure. Like, yeah well yeah and just like kind of playing with the audience in any sort of way oh yeah um, but overall this is i mean this is a masterpiece of its time um and you know uh i i mean i highly recommend it i'm gonna give this nine jamies you know i was thinking whether to hit 8.5 or nine myself i think i'm gonna hit nine as well and just agree with you because nice. like you know it's it's strong work all on its own the drawbacks are things that you know we've already said and they don't they don't inherently take away too much from the experience itself it the movie's so visually driven that like the like bad title cards aren't holding it back and the fact yeah. of the matter is like i mean even with score like when i when i rewatched the ending i watched it completely silent and it still works so right. it's like it's one of those things it like th those two elements right there, especially because like the English title cards are going to be at like aren't the original ones. So, you know, we're we're it's one of those things that it's going to be adapted and changed in many different ways. And I don't even know if we had a 100 percent accurate uh, translation because some of the dialogue felt a little weird, but like um, it obviously plays really well. Uh, but what I basically what I'm saying is it feels good to be right. Since we agree. <laughs> also, uh, I, I'm going to take a trip to the land of thieves and ghosts. <laughs> right. <laughs> and be happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. That was our Halloween special for the year. I hope Ooh. you enjoyed it. Uh I mean, this, I mean, this really leaves us open. We could do fucking anything next year. Um, so we'll figure that one out, I guess. So we'll be back next month uh, with a great new torture podcast. that should be at the early part of the month. Uh, it'll be myself, David Cantu, and special guest Roy Nugent. That's exciting. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Illumination Cinema Movie Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. For updates on this show and their other projects, get your parents' permission to go to IlluminationCinema.com.
had one major issue with this movie and kind of all of them actually. Um, the music was so loud I could not hear any of the dialogue. Ah, uh, yes, that was a consistent problem. Um, in yeah. fact, I I don't think I remember any of the dialogue in uh, Frankenstein. Unfortunately, I, I can't I can't say I do either. Um, anyway. <laughs>